Hello and welcome to the Footballing Podcast, To The Point. I'm Sam and I'm joined as always by my good friend Matt, who's living in Canada and is a youth coach over there. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And today we're joined by a very special guest. His name is Flo and he is the coaching and grassroots coordinator for Sock in New Brunswick. This is To The Point. Welcome to this week's podcast. We had a little bit of a break last week, um, but we hope to come back and uh, fill your podcasting needs this week. So um, just to start things off, Matt, um, the Bundesliga is returning this weekend uh, under much controversy. I mean, how, how do you see this playing out? Um, well, only time will tell, really, won't it? Whether this was a good idea or a bad idea. Um, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of stuff on social media. Football's back. Everyone's excited. Um, however, I feel that there's a lot of pushback from the, from the players, um, and that's not just in Germany. That's across all, all leagues across Europe that are planning to uh, restart back up. Um, there's a lot of pushback from the players, but Germany are the first to go ahead. So everyone will be looking to Germany to see how it goes ahead and whether it is a viable option to carry on playing football in this time. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are excited today sitting down to tune in to watch German football. Yeah, I think for the European leagues, it's going to be a massive learning curve how other leagues can actually come back. Um, but as you said, people are very excited. I mean, I know I'm going to be sitting down to watch it. Um, I don't know about you, Matt. Are you going to be sitting down to watch it today? Uh, well, so I have a TV broadcasting service called The Zone, which don't actually show German football. I was a little bit annoyed. It's on Sportsnet, and I currently don't have access to Sportsnet. So, Flo, <laughs> are you going to be uh, going to be watching today? Uh, definitely, definitely. I want to see what it's going to look like. <laughs> I mean, how, how excited are you for the, for the return of football? Because we all know it's going to be in front of a, um, a no crowd. Um, I watched the, uh, the opening game of the South Korean League, the K-League, uh, last weekend. Um, and I have to tell you, it was um, very sterile. Um, I know South Korean football isn't the, the best quality football, but it also, it was watching it as well. It just, for me... I couldn't connect to it. I couldn't get excited. Um, are, you, are you looking forward to it? Well, I think I think it's going to be interesting in a in a different way. Um, having that that uh, proximity with the players, I feel like being able to hear what they're going to say, what type of communication, um, maybe hearing what the coach is saying on the sideline, and and looking at it in that perspective where you can hear a little bit more. And I think it's also it brings them back. Majority of uh, majority of the players and majority of the, the the footballing world plays in front of like small crowds or to no crowds. So kind of gonna bring them back to the younger years. I believe uh, it's interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to it actually. And uh, you know, w with the the Bundesliga actually returning, there uh, like Matt alluded to um, just a couple of minutes ago, 
that there's got to be a lot of concern around it as well for players and uh, coaching staff. I mean, what kind of um, measures are being put into place to actually make sure that this is fully safe? Because football is a contact sport, so there's no guarantee that you, you're not going to be able to transmit this virus to other people if they, if they do have it. I know that they're doing the testing, um, but it's going to be very difficult to keep this 100% safe. I mean, Matt, have you heard of any sort of ways that they're going to make this safe for the players? Um, they're, they're trying to keep the players in their own, own bubble. So I've heard that they've, they've had to basically isolate themselves from any of the outside world. I think there was a coach this week that broke, broke that isolation and went to the shop to buy toothpaste. <laughs> um, and, and because of that, he is now banned from the, the touchline of, of his own team because he broke that. They they very much have to stay within their team unit bubble, and uh, and that's pretty much it. And even going to the shop, where I imagine there was social um, physical distancing procedure in place, mm. he still has to now stay away from the team, just for getting toothpaste. So I, it sounds like they're taking it pretty seriously to try and keep the players as safe as possible. Um, and I think they test. I think they're testing like all the players before they go in and out of like training facilities, stadiums, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my biggest thing is, well, Bundesliga has been back in training. La Liga is returning back to training. The Premier League have been told they can go ahead and go back to training. I know that Tottenham Hotspur opened up their training ground again. Um, and I've had talks in the last week with the Fredericton District Soccer Association about getting players back to training. But it's how it's going to look um, with all this guide, all the guidelines in place, um, and just how do you how do you prepare to go back to playing competitive football at the professional game like Bundesliga, with having like uh, social distancing guidelines in place? I it, it, it's pretty hard to get your head around how you can properly prepare. How do you look at that flow? You know, coming from a coach's perspective. Honestly, I've, I haven't talked too much about it for for them. Uh, I know for us, we're in different phase. We're in a different. Uh, uh, I guess it's di- it is different for us in the sense that our season is the summertime, so we can ease our way into it and really follow. Uh, we can really follow phys- uh, physical distancing, social distancing, in the process to get into a more competitive uh, uh, phase later on. And for, for for us, it's going to be a little bit easier, as I said, because this our season is is the summertime for them at, at the professional level. Um, I don't know how they want to um, break out of those limitations for the for the, the the spectacle to be interesting for fans, even if they're not in the stadium, uh, they are at home. So I don't know how they they're looking at that. Um, but as it, it's progressing, uh, hopefully. Uh, they won't make any too many too much changes in the rules and uh, not tackling, not touching, or, or stuff like this. Uh, keep it uh, close, keep it close to home, I guess. Um, I just, I, I just find it very, very hard to to think about from a coach's perspective how uh, a professional outfit goes goes about preparing to return to football with guidelines in place like no tackling. And no contact. It is because when they get to the game, obviously they're going to tackle, and there is going to be contact. You can't have a game without it. But in 
preparing for it, you're not allowed to do it. It just seems a little, it just seems very bizarre in trying to get back that sharpness that you need. Like surely that, that surely that's also a danger to the game as well as the virus itself. If you, if you're not preparing in the right way, i.e. like tackling and, you know, marking properly, which involves contact a lot of the time, surely that, when they get to the game situation, there's going to be that little bit of rust and there could be, you know, those one or two reckless tackles that wouldn't have been made if mm. it wasn't in place. I don't know. I, I just think we'll like... I think the knock-on effect there as well is that if there is going to be these tackles that are causing injuries, I mean, that's putting further pressure on um, the medical services that are, are within that area um, that could be dealing with other serious um, conditions. Uh, and also, I, I mean, I know I keep harping back onto this, um, but not being able to train as efficiently as you were without this situation going on, does that not impact on the, um, the spectacle of the game, the actual um, integrity as well? And does that also mean that it's not a fair representation of how games would be played out? Because if they're not training to the, um, to the standards that they would have been, that surely has to have a knock-on effect to the actual quality of the game that is being played. Well, what do you think to that, Flo? Uh, I agree. I agree that, you, you know, it's something that you always say to your players and that you may have heard it yourself. Uh, you, you play, you train as if you want to play the game and you play the game the same way you train. So this is definitely, if we believe in that, we're definitely going to have, we're going to, we're going to see and the players are going to experience a, a, very, cha- a very different uh, game. Um, that being said, um, we're in an age where it's so we're getting so much in the details of the game. There's a lot more to it. Uh, the ability of players have changed and improved in so many different areas that it could it could be a different style of play. It could be a different line. It could be different lineups uh, offered to us to see uh, how they're going to approach the game with those restrictions and rules if they are uh, still restricted in, in contacts and stuff like this, or, or are they just playing the dance right now? Is they just listening to what the government is saying and they, they put their best foot forward to make it, to make it work because they want to, they want to be out there. They want to, they want to finish the season. Uh, but uh, as soon as the game starts, all hell breaks loose and, and we, we're going to see contacts and stuff like this. I think those precautions are at this time right now, but maybe, uh, as soon as they can officially start the season, there won't be much more restrictions. We'll wait and see, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's that everything that's surrounding the, the guidelines back to training. Like this week, the Premier League have said that, like, in terms of training and after training, there's gonna everything will have to be like disinfected, even the playing surface. I heard that. They want to disinfect the playing surface. Well, surely that, surely that will kill the playing surface. <laughs> I'm pretty sure grass and disinfectant don't really mix all that well. So, how do you how do you effectively manage that as well? It's just there's a lot of things coming out uh, about the return of football, and some of it you think, okay, that makes sense, and other stuff you look at it and you just think, what? Like, how does that even make sense? Disinfecting grass. I think I think they're so desperate to get back to to playing football that the Premier League want the Premier League to come back so desperately that they're just coming up with any ideas that that might sound like it's a good idea, but they're not being thought through properly. 
going back to our last, last podcast when we spoke about this, you know, making sterile routes for the, for the, for the teams to travel in and the, the officials and stuff like that. And it just, it's, it's such a logistical nightmare, this, that you cannot prepare enough because there'll always be someone or an expert saying that you haven't prepared enough for it. Um, that you're not considering this and you're not considering this piece of information. So really, the, there's always going to be some element of risk to this. Uh, I mean, and that's why you've got players such as Rose and Sterling from the Premier League coming out so against it, because how can you protect the players? Because it's not just the players you're thinking about, you're thinking about the family, you're thinking about the wider community as well. Like it's, and having these Premier League games coming back it's going to have a knock-on effect for society as well because we know that people like to go and watch games with their friends, their family. Will they start to flout the, the social distancing rules in, in that nature as well? It's a very tricky and difficult situation. Yeah, I know that was a concern in the UK, particularly with uh, match day policing, thinking that even though it'll be played behind closed doors, that fans will still turn up in the masses um, and stand outside the stadium, obviously breaking physical distancing law. And how do you like? How do you go about controlling that? Like, you you can't people. You can't go to the houses and just like lock them in their houses. People are gonna do what they're gonna do. But how do you go about controlling that situation? And that's an, another part of um, the argument against restarting the league because people in people in the UK, especially, have been really uh, like lavish with how they've not been sticking to the rules. Like they're, they're setting up like group uh, get-togethers, like mass mass group get-togethers. There's like I think there's one that was um, organised for Liverpool. I think there was one that's been organised in Southampton purposely to um, stand up against the guidelines in place. Um, so and the police and the police force are concerned that the same kind of thing will happen outside stadiums when, when football returns. Um, so that's why Rose and Sterling have been two of the most outspoken players against returning. I even think Rose has used expletive words when uh, talking out against it. And even today, Troy Deeney has now spo- spoken out against it today, saying that uh, and Tammy Abraham all saying that why would they put their family safety. Uh, at risk to to return to football, he, Tammy Abraham said his dad has like severe asthma, and for him to return to football would be putting his dad at at risk. So it's I nothing's a certain at the moment with the Premier League. I know the government have now pushed it, saying that it can return on the first of June. The league can restart, but doesn't the league have to be finished by? the 30th of June anyway. So, I mean, if you're, if you're allowed to start from the 1st of June, that's not going to happen. So they're going to, the, the date that's been earmarked at the moment is the 12th of June. That means you've got to play nine, nine or 10 games within a two week period. I mean, that's, that's horrific. On the players, surely that's going to be, how do, you, how do you manage that as a coach, Flo, playing that amount of games in such a short period of time? It's def- definitely not recommended, uh, for sure. Uh, you, 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 there's a lot of consider, and, and um, nine games in two weeks. Uh, with, do they even play that many games during the World Cup or the Euros? I don't think so. I think it's uh, it's it's a lot. It's spread apart uh, a lot better than this. Uh, 
now it's going to be it's going to be a nightmare. They talked about more subs uh, at some point uh, to to ease uh, the, the I guess the load on on the players. Uh, now it, they're going to have to cut it. They're going to have to find a way uh, to say okay, these mini games are going to be meaningful enough and representative of the end of the season for it to carry through. Otherwise, they shouldn't go back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and even with the introduction of um, two new subs, I think they said make taking it up to five. It's still not going to be enough enough rest to unless the FA change their own um, guidelines and regulations about when eleven aside professional football can be played. Because um, the cutoff date for that is the thirtieth of June in the UK. Um, and if they decide that you know in this one instance going to extend it then they need to do it pretty quickly to so they can start the logistics of how this is going to look but as it stands football of the premier league kind has to be done and dusted by the 30th of june it's a logistical nightmare and um i don't know how it's going to work out or again the integrity of the whole league is going to be uh, affected by this so Again, is it a fair representation of how the league would have actually finished? It's, it's, that is the underlying question here. And I don't believe it will be. Um, I mean, Liverpool would probably still run away with it. But, I mean, <laughs> what's going to happen to the other, the other teams and the other places and relegation as well? There's a lot riding on it. Um, but we'll move on from there. And I just want to mention this week before we continue. Um, Harry Kane is the first professional footballer to um, actually sponsor um, a team in the English leagues. Um, this week, he, uh, he announced that he's going to be sponsoring the shirts um, for Leighton Orient. Um, and it, it's going to be on the front of their shirts is going to be um, charities and messages for um, the NHS and stuff like that. I thought that's really a great thing. But obviously, again, does this actually, um, is there a conflict of interest here? I mean, what, what do you make to that? Uh, I don't think it will be a conflict of interest unless they draw each other in a cup, which, you know, the odds are always very, very slim of drawing a specific team, especially Leighton Orient. Well, you know, the chances are astronomical that Tottenham and Leighton Orient will be drawn in the, in the same top, like same game in the FA Cup, even the League Cup. So I, I, I don't believe it, it will be an issue until that happens. And I don't believe... Mm. that will actually happen like the odds are astronomical so um and i also just want to add at the end of this that league two yesterday announced that they are wrapping up the season on a points per game basis um there will be no relegation because the national league have decided that there was no promotion because they ended their season Mm. and um there's now been a backlash because there have been teams that are going to be promoted and teams that have missed out on promotion based on this points per game formula that they've, they've drawn up. And a lot of people have said that, well, it didn't take into account the current form leading up to when the league stopped, et cetera, et cetera. So there's literally no good way to end the season other than I said a few weeks back that you just say it's cancelled. Like it's not, none of it stands, it's done. We'll just restart next time, and for qualification purposes, we'll just go back to the season before, like, and we'll just restart afresh instead of trying to figure out five different ways to try and please everyone that just isn't going to please everyone. So, um, 
yeah, you, like you just said, you can't please everyone. And I think that's just, that's a whole other podcast. You could literally discuss that for hours on end of how, what the perfect way to do it is. Um, I know you have your opinion, uh, Matt. Well, Mick Flo, what do you think would be the best way to conclude um, the seasons um, in, in Europe and across the world that, that, that can't get back to playing football? Um, I mean, it's, um, it, it's tough, but I, personally, I'd say uh, there's a role for the game itself. Um, if you play 70% of the game, the, the game is kind of as, as valid. Um, so if the season have been played for 70%, you could stick with the result of that season uh, because you are, you've considered that you've played enough and it's representative of uh, what this, the, the, I guess the table would look like at the end. So kind of, that's kind of my position. I'd say if you played 70% of it, well, you keep it. If you played less, if, even if it's 69.9, then you don't you, you don't count it and then you start fresh and to restart fresh i think there's many ways of doing it you don't have to play your 38 games or 40 games for a season you can do two-parter to start a new competition to make it meaningful there's a lot of ways to make it exciting and meaningful in the, in, in, in the amount of games uh, teams like this they play five competitions different competition league Cup, European Cup, stuff like this. So you can always find a way to, to make it competitive. But uh, to, to stick with your question and saying, okay, how do we end it? I think the rule is already in the book. You have games that count if they are played for 70%. Uh, can we keep the same thing for the season? Or is it is it too much of a different beast to, to consider it the same way? I don't know, but I would, I would consider 70% of it. That's, a, that's an interesting concept that you obviously bring up there. And, uh, and you know, we'd like to hear from anyone listening to this podcast. I mean, what would you do if, if it was up to you? How would you decide um, how to end uh, a season like the Premier League or any of the other seasons across uh, Europe or the world? How would you bring them to an end um, and how would you make that fair? Um, but yeah, we'll just we'll move on from there now. And uh, just uh, moving on to yourself, Flo. Um, I mean, just tell us a little bit and tell our listeners... Uh, a little bit about what you do for Soccer NB. So what I do for Soccer New Brunswick, as I said at the beginning, I'm coaching and grassroots coordinator. So my role is basically I, um, I help and support the clubs uh, in the delivery and for, uh, for the grassroots programs. So I'm helping creating new programs, supporting them, finding grants, and communicating for all ages uh, below 12. Uh, and in the coaching side, I coordinate the courses. So what I'll do is um, communicate with our local collaborators to find facilities uh, to deliver the courses, uh, put them in place. Uh, I will de- I will deliver some. I would also contact our learning facilitators to uh, incorporate them in uh, the delivery of the courses. And it's a kind of a linking uh, the club and the province, the clubs and the province when it comes to the grassroots. Uh, that they, they are delivering, that they wish to deliver, and also the coaching education, uh, supporting clubs that want to take initiatives as well, and then bringing everything together. Right. So, that uh, how has your role had to change uh, due to COVID nineteen? Like, how how has your daily routine changed? What have been the challenges because of COVID nineteen to your to your specific job role? 
uh, one thing that uh, that's definitely changed is um, the in-person, uh, obviously. Um, one, one thing that I do is also uh, delivering, delivering small camps and camps in general. Uh, and you, you go out in the province, so you travel in different, in different clubs and you meet with the, with the people there. Uh, you either deliver small clinics for coaches or for players. And that hasn't happened. Uh, most of my summer uh, month would be uh, going two or three times a week, even four sometimes, to different clubs and, and uh, interacting with them. This is not happening this summer uh, so far, and I, I, we haven't started that. So that that's uh, that's changed, and also it, the the big change is the move to online. So our our first uh, our first cycle of coaching courses was done online. And that that uh, that was a first for us. Um, we've been talking about it, and we've been hearing about it. Some provinces have already started it, uh, and it was an opportunity for us uh, to 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 start it right now. And uh, it was it was it was a a challenge to get things started, but definitely a useful tool when it comes to coaching education. Yeah. Uh, so I've. To our listeners, I was actually part of that of that coaching program. Um, I saw that the provincial C license here in New Brunswick was running online, and I jumped at the chance to to do it whilst I was sitting at home in in isolation because you know there was the time to be able to help to do it, uh, and it was a different experience to be able to take part in coach education um, through the internet, the power of the internet. Um, but I can't imagine um being in your position flow how you try to implement a coaching program and you have to think of all the ins and outs of how, how you go about implementing the coaching program that you deliver in a classroom setting with a lot of you know FaceTime with individuals and then you go to having to do everything online and not necessarily seeing people's reactions to certain things that you say um like confused looks on faces so you know that particular people were going to need you know certain help and guidance how, how how did you have to really approach doing coaching online like what were the hurdles and the challenges that you found about delivering online well first uh, first i thought well we we we, we I, I talked with with the with other people involved in coaching education uh, and kind of like looking at the tools first and how the tools are working and what are the tools giving you. So what can you do with a platform like Zoom or maybe a Google Meet or any other platforms? What can you do with it that can resemble a classroom? And then once you look at your tool, you look at, okay, what do you want? What is uh, kind of the script of your course? What are the, what are the parts where you're gonna be delivering content and when you're going to have interaction and that's the as you mentioned the, the toughest part is to really be efficient in those interactions uh because we're online we're missing a lot of the small conversation uh we had a fairly large group uh for our first cycle of, of coaching courses and, and then when you look at a class of 25 plus students or coaches taking the course and then if you if you start to parting them to part them in small groups you are missing those small conversation. Yes, you can jump in. You can jump in and out of different conversations, uh, 
but it's still not the same way in the classroom. You know, if I'm in the classroom, I can walk around and then my, I hear something that catches my, my attention, then I can go there and, and see that. So that didn't happen. And then at the end of that, you have the time restriction because um, those courses, those modules, they don't last for more than an hour 30, an hour 45 because you don't want to keep people stuck to you, uh, stuck with you for three, four hours. Uh, and that's the other thing. So the time restriction uh, is, is also a challenge. Yeah. So um, one, one of the big parts that was clearly missing was the practical part of um, of a coaching uh, course, uh, being able to be out in the field and seeing demonstrations done and examples done. Um, and I know there is, you know, there is a plan to do that at a later date when we're, we're allowed to, to get back to that. Um, but do you feel having the classroom content completely separate to the on-field content might have a bit of a knock-on effect? Do you think that that, that, that might be an issue there? You know, uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. It's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, it, it helps us in our reality in the sense that uh, it centralizes a lot of the it centralizes all of the course. Uh, for us, so I don't have to travel to two, three different locations to deliver the same content. Everybody's on at the same time, and then you will see the students of the game. See if they can line up uh, the concepts uh, first, and then when we when we do go out, can we link what we've what we've seen before to what we're presenting? And there's also still going to be a big part of educating the coaches as well when you present. It's not just okay. You have the content shows what you can do. It's still okay. So referring to what we We've been looking at on in the classroom uh, or online. Uh, let's look at what, how it how it is and how it, it takes uh, it takes life on on the field. So there's going to be a big education piece as well when we go outdoors. So the the learning continues. So uh, would you uh, would you say that Matt is a model student? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> He is the, the he is wow. I mean, uh, I, I'm not gonna put too much blame on him, but uh, he is he is a piece to a piece of work. I think his wife uh, would attest to that. <laughs> uh, but he makes for good conversations, and that's one thing that maybe as uh, maybe it's the podcast that does that for you. But he makes for, for great conversations, and it, and that's a shame when you when you're online and there's a great conversation happening, and you have to kind of shut it down because we want to give their time back to people uh that stuff but it, it was definitely interesting to have him in the course well i i'm going to defend myself i was always the one that was made i was always the one that was made to talk he should have if you're in the breakout rooms for they were like oh matt you, you're the one that's going to deliver this and i was just like i get told to be quiet all the time someone else can do it and they're like, no, you're going to do it. I was always the one that was stitched up with the talking. So. Don't act like you didn't want to talk. You always want to talk. <laughs> no, I don't about. believe that. One second. <laughs> I don't believe that one second. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Well, um, you know, we'll wrap things up there for today. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on our podcast, Flo. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, and uh, thank you to everyone at home for, for listening. No, thank you for having me, guys. It was, uh, was very enjoyable. Looking forward to next time. Great, fantastic. Thanks and for coming uh, on. And <laughs> see everyone soon. Yeah, and um, just remember, everyone, if you want to uh, 
find us online. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, check us out on, on Spotify. Um, we're on Apple, iTunes podcasts as well. Um, all of the major um, podcast platforms. Please do remember to um, give us a rating um, and submit a review as well. It really does help us. And also interact with us on Facebook as well. We always love getting involved in a conversation. Um, and yeah, please do post any questions you have to us about what we've spoken about today. But for now, thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.